figured out. Y'all, I'm just a hot mess right now. Sorry. Um, at RUF, let's come back to our center here. At RUF, we believe that you're never so bad, you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And what that means is that God's grace in Jesus is the central thing that we want you to wrestle with every week. And that's what RUF is all about. So every week at RUF, we're going to tell you about Jesus. And then next week, we're going to tell you about Jesus again. Because Jesus is the central person that you need to deal with in your life. And each semester, we've been, uh, we go through a sermon series. Uh, this semester, we're going through one called The Storyteller, which is in the parables of Jesus. And the parables were just stories that Jesus told uh, to make a point. And as we've seen, these stories, they're often more geared at kind of frustrating us than they are at kind of making us feel better, uh, making us feel like we have a clearer understanding of things. Um, so uh, tonight we're going to be looking at a parable called The Friend at Midnight. And it's actually kind of like two parables, uh, which is confusing. And it's two very short parables back to back. Uh, so I recently read a book by a writer named Flannery O'Connor. Has anybody ever read anything by Flannery O'Connor? I thought, yeah, I was like one, at least maybe one. Uh, Flannery O'Connor was actually a pretty famous author in the 20th century. Uh, she wrote some famous short stories, uh, one called A Good Man is Hard to Find, another one called The Turkey, and then she had a famous novel called Wise Blood. But she was kind of a southern gothic writer. Her stories were really kind of grotesque and really gripping. Um, but kind of little known fact about Flannery O'Connor, she actually went to school right around here. Uh, she went to the University of Iowa, which, uh, yeah, I know, that's, it's not looking good for you, Flannery. Um, she went to the University of Iowa, and so she studied writing there when she was in her 20s. And as she was there, um, she started to keep a journal. And it was a prayer journal, because Flannery O'Connor was a Christian. And she was trying to kind of grapple with, what does it mean for me to be a Christian and a writer? Uh, what does it mean for me to honestly desire to be a really good writer, but to hold on to my Christian faith, to live my Christian faith in a way that is authentic? And as you read through kind of this uh, prayer journal, it was later compiled into a book. Uh, it, it's beautiful. And it's, it's searching. It's very vulnerable and honest. And it's clearly someone who knows like what they're talking about when they talk about God. But then there's one prayer in particular that stands out. She's just talked about how uh, kind of her ambition and um, how she's relating to God and that. And at the end of the prayer, she just stops. And she says, can't anyone teach me to pray? Can't anyone teach me to pray? And as you're reading it, you're just like, well, uh, you're, kind of, you're doing it right now. Can't anyone teach me to pray? Is that a question that you can relate to? I know for me it is. Uh, prayer is one of those things that if someone asks you, like, if you're good at prayer, you're probably going to be like, I mean, what, like, you don't feel like you can say yes to that. It's something that there's, there's kind of this sense that even if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's something that you could be doing better. Um, there was a famous uh, theologian and preacher in the 19th century. His name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. He knew, he knew a lot of things. Uh, very, very sharp guy. But this guy for his entire life, he refused to write or preach on prayer because he felt so personally inadequate in that area. Can you identify with that? No, I can't. See, for many of us, prayer is something that we know we need to do, 
And, and this kind of actually goes across the board. Whether you're here tonight and you're a Christian or not, like most studies show that, that folks in the United States think that prayer is important, whether they're a Christian or not. It's something that we all have the sense that we need to be doing it, but frankly, we don't know how to. Or for some of us, when we think about prayer, uh, prayer can be frustrating. We might have been praying for a long time, and we don't seem to be getting the answers that we long for. Or for others of us, we're just here tonight, and we just don't get prayer. We, we might have been a Christian for a long time, and we're like, frankly, I don't understand what this is all about. So regardless where you're at tonight, this parable, I think it's for you. The parable that we're looking at tonight is a response to a question about prayer. At the beginning of Luke 11, Jesus has gone off to pray. And if you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus goes off and prays a whole lot. Something that he's in a habit of doing. And when he comes back, one of his disciples asks him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. And this would have been a common thing for a follower of a famous teacher at the time to ask. It would have been common for a teacher to have kind of like a method for prayer. And so Jesus actually responds to their question by teaching them how to pray. And if you've been paying attention to all this semester, that might be a little bit shocking because Jesus loves when he's asked a question to like tell a story <laughs> or say something really indirect. But he actually responds and, and he gives them what became known as the Lord's Prayer. But then right after that, it's as if Jesus, there was some sense in his mind that it wasn't enough just to say that. He tells these stories. He responds by just kind of giving this short version of the Lord's Prayer, and then he tells these two kind of parables. And both of these parables, parables have to do with who God is. So his disciples ask him, how do we pray? And he's like, here's two pictures of who God is. And each of these pictures has a posture that goes with them. So there's going to be a picture and a posture. And Jesus' big idea in telling us this parable, I think, is this. He wants us to see that prayer is a response to our God who is both friend and father. Prayer is a response to our God who is both friend and father. So as we look at this tonight, we're just going to look at those two points, that God is our friend and God is our father. God is our friend, God is our father. Let me pray for us and we get started. Father, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to gather together tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just meet us where we are, open our eyes, and help us to get a clearer sense uh, of who you are. I confess that prayer is something that I feel inadequate in, and I would imagine uh, many of my friends here tonight do as well. And so wherever we are with this, I pray that you would meet us where we are and take us where we need to go. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Jesus gives us two pictures uh, the first one, God is our friend. So we see in verse 5, Jesus starts by telling his disciples this short little parable, kind of in the form of a question. He says, which of you has a friend, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing set before them. And so Jesus is giving kind of a familiar situation for his disciples here. This is in a hospitality culture. It would have been common for you to have friends over who would come and stay from, from a far away away. And they would travel oftentimes into the night in order to get to your house because it's in the Middle East and it's really hot. So they'll travel at night to try to get out of the heat. And so if you had a friend who was coming to stay with you and they get there at midnight, it would have been common for you to have some sort of like food for them when they get there. 
because there wasn't like a runza on the way or anything like that. Not that they would have stopped there to get that. Um, just one man's opinion. But when they, uh, when they get to your house, they would have expected there to be bread. And so it would have been a huge problem in a culture like this, a shame on our culture, for you to not have some food for someone who shows up to your house. And so Jesus tells a story. He asks his disciples to imagine themselves as a person who is supposed to host someone. They realize when he gets there, he's tired, he's expecting food, that they don't have food. And so Jesus asks him to imagine, what would it feel like for you to go to a friend and to ask him, lend me three loaves, for this friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So he asks his disciples to imagine that they have just committed, at that time, like the ultimate party foul, okay? You have nothing to set before someone. And then what is this, how does this neighbor friend respond to this question? And remember, it's in the middle of the night. He says to him in verse 8, um, or sorry, verse 7, says, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So this kind of, you go over to your neighbor, uh, knocking on the door. It's the middle of the night, and he's like, man, I've got kids in here. They're asleep. It's maybe even like a one-room house. And so the friend's not having it. Like, this is a clear violation of social conventions. But then Jesus goes on in verse 8 to tell us that, says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Uh, impudence is not a word that we use very often. Uh, what impudence means, it just means kind of like a, a violation of social rules, kind of like a lack of decorum, uh, of directness. So what we're seeing here is Jesus is kind of using a common picture in their world to make a point to them. And the basic picture is this. He's saying, listen, in your world, when you're in a position of a great need, even in the middle of the night, you could go over to your neighbor and ask him to give you something that you would need. And chances are, he's actually going to respond positively. This would have been a thing that, that most of the people hearing would have been nodding along. But he's using this to make a point. He's saying, if a neighbor friend whom you're inconveniencing will give in to your request, how much more will God, your true heavenly friend, give you what you need? How much more? He's painting this picture of God as the true friend, the person to who this earthly friend is pointing. He wants us to recognize here that God is our friend. But what sort of posture does this produce in us? How does knowing God as our friend impact our prayer life? I think it produces two things in us. Uh, the first thing is neediness. Neediness. And the second thing is honesty. So what do I mean by neediness? I mean, when I say neediness, what immediately comes to mind? Uh, it's not something that we kind of have positive association with, right? Like if you are talking to your significant other and they say to you, you're really needy. Is that a compliment? No, it means you're about to get dumped, right? It's not a good thing. We don't like this idea of being needy. But we see here in verse 9, Jesus says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. We see Jesus telling his disciples and us as well to ask, to seek, to knock. There's, there's a persistence here, a neediness. And if you think about it, what sort of prayers does Jesus love? 
Last week we saw a, a parable between a, a Pharisee and a tax collector, both of whom were praying. The Pharisee had this long, elaborate, maybe even beautiful prayer. And then the tax collector had this short prayer that said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Which prayer did Jesus prefer? It was the second one. It was the needy prayer. And we see elsewhere in the Gospels, the prayer that Jesus loves is, help, my daughter is sick. Or I believe, help my unbelief. You see, Jesus likes these needy prayers. God's not offended by our neediness, even though we might be. In fact, he delights in it. Because in coming to God in this needy posture, we're actually being returned to how we were created to live. When we come before God and we're needy, we're closer to our original design than when we're not. You see, we were created to live in relationship with God. Everything that we needed was going to come from him. And yet when we fell in sin, there was rupture. And when we come to God now, in Jesus, in, in our need, we're being returned to that relationship. And God delights in that. So the posture of neediness. But there's also a posture of honesty. We see this in verse 10. It says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. You see, there's this honesty that Jesus is commending in prayer. Uh, it, it's being asking, seeking, knocking. These are the sort of people that will receive answer to prayer. Uh, and if you think through, like we talked about what sort of prayers does Jesus love? What sort of people does Jesus love? What sort of people is he attracted to in the Gospels? Uh, one of my favorite Jesus interactions uh, is in John 1. And so Philip and Nathaniel, or Philip has just been called to be a follower of Jesus. He comes to Nathaniel, one of his boys, and he says, we have found the Messiah. Like we found him. The one that everything is looking for. Like we, we have found him. And he says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel responds saying, guys, like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And how does Jesus respond? Jesus comes to Nathaniel and he says, behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He's not offended by his honesty. And we see this again and again. Jesus is not offended by honesty, by us being who we are. You see, it's the asking, the seeking, the knocking. When we're honest in prayer, the Lord delights in it. But why don't we pray like this? Why don't we pray like this? Like, or maybe another way of getting at it, how does me saying the words, God is your friend, hit you? What does that bring up inside of you? If you're anything like me, that it's hard to, it's hard to swallow. If you're anything like me, you're convinced God doesn't care. Like, why would he care? Why would he care about the little things that are going on in my life? Or maybe we don't pray like this because we're convinced that we aren't actually that needy. That there's something gross about that. that there's something wrong about being that needy. We see in the face of this struggle, Jesus is showing us in no uncertain terms that God is our friend. But not only is God our friend, God is our father. See this in kind of the second picture here. It starts in verse 11. It says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? 
So Jesus, again, is using kind of a common uh, image of the time. He's saying to these men, which one of you who are fathers, which a lot of them would have been fathers, which of you would give their, when their son asked for a fish or an egg, would give them a snake or a scorpion? And the basic question is, which of you, when your son asks for food, is going to give him something that's going to kill him? And the obvious answer is none of them. And you got to imagine that a lot of these followers, they, they were kind of various levels of good dads, right? But they were all united in the fact that they're like, no, of course I wouldn't do that. And then Jesus is kind of giving us the basic picture here in verse 13. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What's Jesus doing here? You see, Jesus is taking their own logic and he's using it to show them something about himself. Saying, if you earthly fathers who are evil, which by the way, everyone at that time would have agreed with. He's saying, if you who are evil will do these good things for your children, how much more will God, who is perfect, give good gifts to his children? But what sort of posture does this produce, right? How how does knowing that God is our father impact us? I think it gives us confidence and humility. Confidence and humility. Uh, What do I mean by confidence? I mean, at the beginning of this, Jesus is saying, how much more? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If this is true, right, amidst fathers and sons in this world, how much more? How much more will God give us what we need? God will not withhold good gifts from his children. And Luke 12, just after this, Jesus says to his disciples, Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in James 1, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. See, the picture that we get of God in the Bible is of a father who gives his children good things. And if we see that, and if we understand that, that should lead to confidence in prayer. It should lead us to expect that just as he gives good things to everyone, he will give good things to us. But I think this also leads to humility. Uh, in the second half of verse 13, it, it's, we have this idea of the Father giving good gifts. and says, it doesn't say, uh, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give good gifts to those who ask him? It says something specific. It says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, we're prone to think when we're asking for something in prayer that we know exactly what we need. But what we see here is that God knows what we need more than we do. You see, he is our Father. Oftentimes, he's not going to rescue us from a situation that feels really painful. And a lot of times, he's not going to give us like an A on an exam when we didn't study for it. Because he knows that what we actually need is to go through that. And what we need is to go through that with God's presence with us. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the constant presence of God. So why don't we pray like this? Why why do we struggle to pray with confidence and humility? I think some of us here, I think it might be because we're convinced that God isn't a loving father. We're convinced that he's a deadbeat dad. We're convinced that he's not going to show up for us. And many of us, we we might actually have good reason to believe that. When when you hear the language of father, 
there might be a bad association for you. Some of us might have wonderful associations, but a lot of us might not. And a lot of times we can project that onto God, and we can't imagine a Father who knows us and cares for us. Or maybe we don't pray like this because we're convinced that we know best. We don't like a God who, when we ask for things, gives us the Holy Spirit. We want a God who, when we ask for things, gives us exactly what we ask for. And yet the picture we see here is of God as our Father. Our Father who knows us and who gives us exactly what we need. All right, so let's put this all together. Uh, We've seen that prayer is a response to our God who is both friend and father, all right? It's a a response to our God who is both friend and father. We saw in the first picture here that God is our friend and that that this should lead to a posture of neediness and honesty and prayer. And in the second picture, we saw that God is our father, which should lead to a posture of confidence and humility. And yet, we struggle and yet, I mean, how, how often can we say that we've had this neediness, this honesty, this confidence and humility? Most of the time when we pray, it's out of duty or out of kind of like a cultural custom. It's just what you do before lunch. Man, if you ever want to see the cultural customs like a prayer, just become a pastor and eat with someone. They just look at you. They're like, are you going to pray, God talker? It's like, get away from me. It's weird. We pray out of this cultural custom. Or we pray when things are hard and we forget when they're not. Or maybe we don't pray because we didn't get the answer that we want and we've just given up altogether. So what if after all of this, even after these beautiful pictures that Jesus has given us, we still struggle to pray? I would say we're in good company. You're in good company if you still struggle to pray even after all this. Uh, Actually, in Luke 22, Jesus is talking to these same disciples that he told these stories to. And he's going off to pray. And this is a a tough spot for Jesus. Jesus has just been betrayed by one of his best friends. And he knows that he's about to be arrested. And he knows he's about to go to the cross. Things are about to get really hard for him. And he goes away to pray with his disciples. And Jesus goes off to pray, but he tells his disciples, please pray with me. And so he goes off and prays. And and as Jesus is praying, he does exactly what he tells us to do in this parable. Jesus is needy, he is honest, he is confident and humble. Listen to his prayer. This is Jesus right before he's about to go to the cross. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I mean, it's direct. It's needy. He, he, he asks God for what he wants. It's confident. It's humble. And he prays this way, and then he comes back to his disciples. And what are they doing? They've fallen asleep. The very first people, the people who heard this parable from Jesus, the people who walked with Jesus his entire ministry, did not get it. They struggled to pray. They struggle to pray. Not only do they struggle to pray just like at any moment, they struggle to pray at the very moment they should have been praying. They fell asleep. And what does Jesus do? How does Jesus respond to them? And ultimately, how does Jesus respond to us in our struggle? 
You see, I think what Jesus does here in this moment is he doesn't give them a kind of like a diagram on prayer. He's like, okay, let's go back. I'm going to teach you the Lord's Prayer again. No, what Jesus does is he, he shows them who he is. He responds by going to the cross. He knows that their struggle with prayer, it's not that they don't know how to do it. It's that they don't know who God is. They don't truly understand. So he goes to the cross to show them. See, Jesus went to the cross to deal with our sin so that we might know God as our friend. You see, when we look to the cross, we see Jesus meeting us in our neediness. We see him meeting us in our neediness and not running away. And then when we see how attentive attentive to our needs God has been to us in Jesus, we can come before him as needy and honest people. So if we struggle to see God as our friend, look to Jesus. But we also see that Jesus went to the cross to deal with our sins so that we might know God as Father. See, when we look to the cross, we can have confidence that God will withhold no good gift from us because he didn't withhold even his own son. And when we see how God our Father has met our every need through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we can be humble in prayer knowing that he knows our every need. So I don't know where everybody's at with all of this. Uh, As I'm talking about prayer, I don't know what that brings up in you. For some of us, it might bring up shame. For others of us, frankly, we just haven't thought about it. But I want to encourage you, what you need in your prayer life is not uh, some new method. What you need is a clear picture of who the God is that you're praying to. And friends, you will find no clearer picture than Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to him on the cross, and you'll see the lengths that God was willing to go to be your friend and to be your father. Amen. Father, we thank you for this um, truth that you've shown us, or that you are our friend and you are our father. I pray that that would be uh, dear to us. Uh, I pray for those of us who might be thinking about that for the first time. Uh, I pray for those of us who have heard that uh, many times. I, I just pray that you would be beautiful to us, that you would change our lives. And all these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hear God's.